who we are, who we're called to be, um, that we can either choose to be just a church by name, we can be a church by outward looks, right? Um, or we can be a church that is real, that is authentic and full of the life of God. And I believe that people are hungry, they're looking for things that are real, they're looking for what's, what is authentic, what is tangible, what is something I can believe in. We have a whole other generation that's coming up, and, and they're not living their life just the way that, because their parents did, right? They're not just doing things just because their parents did, or actually they're not even just doing things just because they've been told it's the right thing to do. They want there to be something that's real to it. And how many of you know that we have an adversary, and his role, his job is to counterfeit the authenticity of who God is? And if you look at the enemy and everything that he does, everything is approached to bring something else as a counterfeit, as a substitute to what is real. And my heart has just been stirred so much more in, uh, lately just thinking about that. I mean, that's always been my heart is us to be an, an authentic believer. I want to operate and flow personally uh, with an authentic relationship with my Lord and Savior, um, and then also as a father, um, as a husband, um, and as a pastor, I want to live authentically in my life. Amen? I, I, I'm not, I didn't serve God for 30 years just because it sounded cool, or just because I'm, 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 I'm trying to be religious. Uh, I, I have served God for 30 years as far as in ministry longer than that personally because Jesus is real to me. And you can't, you can't take that away from me. You can't argue it. You can't philosophize, which I don't think that's a word, um, but you can't philosophize it. You can't, you can't take that away from me because my relationship with Jesus is a real relationship. It's not just a Sunday observance. Right? And I've grown up going to church. My parents didn't let me miss church. It was very rare that I missed church as a child. And of course, we didn't have kids' church. You know, we went to, the, if you will, the, the adult service, and I remember standing, you know, beside my parents and, you know, not really having a clue of what was happening. Um, but it was instilled in me as a child um, that we go to church. And it didn't matter if we had company. It didn't matter what was going on around us. It didn't matter, it, you know, for sure for my mom, it was like, you're going to church. We're going to church. It didn't matter what my friends were doing. It didn't matter, you know, even when it came to sports and everything else, I, I didn't miss church for those things. Of course, back then, everything was closed on Sundays. Wasn't that hard, right? Nowadays, it's 24-7. Um, but nonetheless... It was just instilled in me for that, um, but I was able to meet Jesus at a young age and to encounter and experience His power, experience the realness of who He is, and that's been my life. Amen? I'm not saying it from a perfect standpoint. I certainly haven't been. I've made plenty of mistakes. I've missed it, you know, many, many times. So it never was about having this perfect um, facade of being religious. It's what Paul told Timothy, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Um, what Paul was saying is, don't just have a formula. 
And then, and so many times we want to make this a deal where it's a formula, where if I go to church enough, if I'm good enough, if I do this enough, if I do that enough, then God will bless me, God will take care of me, you know, I'll get to go to heaven because I, I have all my, my boxes checked off. And I have a formula to my life. And, and Paul said, listen, you can't just have a formula denying the power of God. It's the power of God that changes our lives. It's the power of God that works in us, and, and, and it begins in salvation. Actually, it begins with the conviction of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Because when you and I got saved, or when I got saved, the gospel, I didn't get saved because it made sense. You know what I'm saying? I didn't get saved because it made sense. I got saved because there was this conviction that the word that I was hearing was the truth. And then I grabbed hold by faith and believed, and then everything changed from that moment on when I became born again, a child of God, brought out of darkness, the Bible says, into His light, brought into the family of God, everything changed. But for some reason, uh, if we're not careful, after that experience, it's like we expect everything else, or if we're not careful, we slip in to living a life of just formula. If I just obey the rules, you know, and what happens, the problem with that is that when it comes time for God to work in our lives, anybody in here ever have a need? All right, lift your hand up. Okay, just keeping you honest this morning. Amen. Um. But when I came to receiving from God, if I live for God based on a formula, then I try to receive from God based on a formula. And so it becomes a performance instead of a relationship, right? And when we talk about real hope for real life, it's not real performance, right? It's not, it's not just a performance. I'm not saying there aren't things that we're supposed to do, but my relationship with God is based on what He has done for me first, and that is, is that He loved me first, and that the Bible says, even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's, the Bible says, in due time, right? So, Jesus took the first step, and everything we do now is a response to what He's already completed and what He's already done. And the world around us needs hope, right? People are angry, right? People are on edge. People are struggling. People are being challenged. People are being divided. And, and the enemy is just working to wreak havoc in the world around us. And we have, the Bible says, Christ, Christ in us, the hope of what? The world. We have that in us. If you are born again, child of God today, you have hope living on the inside of you. You have hope not just for your life, but you have hope for the world, and it's on the inside of you. Amen? But that hope stretches beyond eternity, right? That, that's what we, we, we come to the Lord and, and, hey, I know that no matter what happens in this world, I've got my eternity is certain. I don't question it. My eternity is certain. I'm going to be with Jesus, right? I'm going to spend eternity with Him. I may not be able to wrap my mind around eternity, but I know that I'm going to spend it with Him, and He's good, and He's faithful, and He loves me, right? I have a certainty in that. But I want you to also understand that hope brings a certainty here. 
concerning the Scripture and what the Word of God says. So, in 1 Peter chapter 1, I read these two verses last week, so I just want to read them again. And we're going to read in, in, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, and I'm reading out of the Passion Translation uh, for the sake of time of not reading it out of two different translations. Celebrate with praises the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has shown us His extravagant mercy. For his fountain of mercy has given us, what? It says, new life. We are reborn to experience a living and energetic hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We are reborn into a perfect inheritance that can never perish, never be defiled, and never diminish. It is promised and preserved forever in the heavenly realm for you. But I love what it says, we are reborn to experience a living and energetic hope. It's not only a hope for eternity, it is a living and energetic hope today. And there's power today. There's life today in the hope that we have in Christ. We as believers should not be the ones that are sad, that are miserable, that are beat down, that are broken, that are defeated, that are overcome, when everything that the Word says is opposite. Amen. I'm not saying that you and I don't have challenges or face difficult or challenging things. Please don't misunderstand that, right? But we have a hope, and that brings us a joy. Hope means a joyful and confident expectation, and it's of eternal salvation. But I have a joyful and confident expectation for today. When I woke up today, I have a joyful and confident expectation. Doesn't matter what's happening around me. Doesn't matter what the world's saying. It doesn't matter what the news is saying. I've got a greater hope. I've got something that, that I put my hope in, and his name is Jesus. And the Bible says that we have that living and energetic hope through what? The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In other words, if Jesus wasn't raised up, then we would still be without hope. We have hope. We have a living hope because the one that we've put our hope in is alive. Are you hearing me? He is alive. The person of Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh, the one who lived the sinless life, the one who died for us and gave his life for us, he is alive today. He is living. He is victorious. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. He's got the keys of death, hell, and the grave in his hands. In other words, he holds authority over those things, and our hope is in him. So now I have a different hope than the world. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Colossians 1.27, it says, living within you is the Christ. How many of you have Jesus in your life? Amen. It says, living in you is the Christ who floods you with the expectation of glory. In other words, I have this hope in me of encountering, experiencing, of walking in, of knowing the glory of God. Well, what's his glory? Well, in its base form, the glory of God is God himself. It's his presence. It's the manifest presence of God. 
When Moses asked God to show him his glory, he put him in the cleft of the rock, and he said, I can only show you the backside of me because you can't handle really the fullness of who I am. And he revealed and showed that to Moses. The Bible says that when Moses left from spending the time with the Lord, that he glowed. Let me tell you something. We, we, we think we know God. And I'm not saying from a standpoint of doubting his word. I'm just saying from the standpoint, there's so much more. There's so much more for you and I. So we have this hope. So listen to what it says. This mystery of Christ embedded within us. Amen. The mystery of Christ. That's Christ in me and me in Christ. We, as the body of Christ, we are part of that mystery, the revelation of who Jesus Christ as as Lord and Savior and who we are as his church and his bride. Amen. That we have a righteousness in Christ. In other words, when God looks at you and I as believers, he counts you and I righteous or right before him, right, because of who Jesus is. So my life is hidden in Christ as a believer. Right? He's not looking at you. He's looking at Jesus. Amen. So, it says, this mystery of Christ embedded within us becomes a heavenly treasure chest of hope filled with the riches of his glory for his people. And God wants everyone to know it. When when we say treasure chest, I love that word. Uh, That's not the original Greek, right? But that translation, because when he talks about a treasure chest, it is, it is, it's things hidden. It's things that we don't even fully comprehend and know, but we've got the Spirit of God in us revealing all that God has for us, all of the riches that he has in his glory reserved for us. I tell you what, that's some good stuff. And it's not just natural stuff. It's spiritual stuff. And so, I mean, we could spend years trying to unpack that and and, and unveil that, but I want you to know that there's more for your life that God has for you than just what you have seen and even what you've experienced to this point. So, I want to look at a couple of stories in the Bible, a couple of examples, and we're going to read from the Word of God, read the text, and the first one's going to be Mark chapter 5, verse 21. All right, we're going to read both of these texts, and then I want to bring some things out of it from the Word of God that I believe will help you and I concerning our own life. It says, now when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, my little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed, and she will live. So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years, and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. 
When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, you see the multitude thronging you, and you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction." So in this story, real quick, we have this, this woman, uh, Jesus is on assignment. Jairus uh, comes to him and says, my daughter is sick unto death. Please come lay your hands on her. I believe that if you do that, she's going to be healed. And he's on the way. And the Bible says that there is a crowd that is around him and thronging him. In other words, it'd be like going to a concert and, or, or, you know, and there's that famous person and they're surrounded by people, and the security guards are trying to keep them off of them, and they're, they're grappling and just trying to touch them and trying to, you know, there's a press there, right? And the Bible says that there's this woman with this issue of blood, which is, is part of her feminine reproduction. She, she has this blood, but it never stops. Everybody with me? Okay. So, she has this issue for 12 years. Now, stay with me with it. For 12 years, she has seen every doctor she knows to see, and she has spent all of her money, right? So, she's looking for an answer. She's looking for some kind of relief from this situation. And the Bible says that she wasn't any better after that. Now, I'm not knocking doctors, so please don't read that into this. I'm just saying in her situation and in her day, there was no help. And so, she heard, everybody say, she heard, she heard about Jesus, right? She heard about Jesus, and she said within her heart, she said to herself, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, then I'll be made whole. And so, she presses out of her house to get to Jesus. Now, a couple of things you need to know about her is that she, according to Scripture and the law, was ceremonially unclean. So, she wasn't allowed in the temple where the women sat. She wasn't allowed in there. And that when she was in public, she had to announce to everybody around her that she was unclean. Because if anybody touched her, that would make them unclean, right? That, that, was, that was part of the law, right? That, that you should take it all the way back to Leviticus. So, she is violating certain things in order to press to Jesus. And then, as she gets to Jesus and she touches him ceremonially or under the law, that would make Jesus unclean, right? But here's the good news is that the moment she touched Jesus, she didn't make him unclean, he made her clean. 
And so she has, has, she has this faith, and she has heard about Jesus, and she's, she's stepping out to do something about it. And it's interesting that she didn't say, Jesus, will you pray for me? Because after she touched him, he felt, the Bible says, he felt power leave his body, right? And he said, who touched me? So she comes up and her simple faith within herself, reaching out and laying hold of Jesus, the person she had heard about, it brought healing to her body. Because Jesus said, woman, your faith, your faith, your faith has what? Made you whole. Amen. So just stay with me. Go over to Romans chapter 4. We're going to read just a, an excerpt here about Abraham, again, for the sake of time. It says, therefore, it is of faith, we're jumping in the middle, that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but to those who are the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I've made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed, God. In other words, in the presence of God. So this goes back to Genesis 17. It actually goes further than that, but the account in Genesis 17, where God, uh, again, makes the promise to Abraham that I am going to give you an offspring. I'm going to multiply you. Uh, and, and so great will be your seed or your offspring. You, you, if you can't count the sand, you won't be able to count them. And then in one account, it says he showed him the stars, and he said, if you can't count the stars, you won't be able to count how great your offspring is going to be. And he says, Abraham, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. So that's the promise that we have. And the Bible says, let's just keep reading here. It says, um, in the presence of him whom we believe God, who, talking about God, gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, right? Calls those things that do not exist as though they did. And so um, it says um, in verse 18, who, talking about Abraham, who contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. That was the promise of God. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what he had promised, talking about what God had promised, that God was also able to perform. And it says, and therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. I know that's a mouthful, but this is what I want you to see about Abraham. So God promised Abraham a son, promised him an offspring, that through him all of God's people would be blessed. And actually all the nations would be blessed that would put their faith in God, just like Abraham did right? The problem was, is that when God made that promise to Abraham and Sarah, um, they were already beyond the childbearing years. And it even wasn't even until 25 years later 
that we actually pick up in Genesis 17. It was 25 years later where the Bible says Abraham was 99 years old. And they're waiting on this promised son. And if you go back and study it, you see that Abraham and Sarah, or Abram and Sarah, tried to take things into their own hands. And so Sarah gave him the, 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 the handmaid, and, and, and she bore him a son, and his name was called Ishmael, right? But God said, I've got an heir for you that's going to be done the right way. And it's going to be according to the promise, right? It says, he did not waver at the promise through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what God had promised, he was also able to perform. So we've got two individuals here, and and, and the reason I'm talking about two of them, because I believe they'll help two different types of people. They're going to help those that are like Abram or Abraham who are the people of God and you have a promise from God. Maybe it was 10 years ago, 15 years ago, maybe it was last week, maybe it was 20 years ago, but God made you a promise. God spoke something into your life. God gave you a dream. God gave you something that he was going to fulfill in and through your life, but you hadn't seen it come to pass yet, right? And not only that, but we have all of the promises of God that are written in his word. They're not just words, they're his his word and his promise. That maybe you're standing and believing for something in your life. You're believing for healing. You're believing for God's provision. You're believing for restoration. And so you're believing something, but you're a child of God and you're standing on the promise of God. Or maybe you're in a place where you've lost hope in the promise of God and what God has said, and the the temptation is, is to let that promise go and say, well, I guess God just isn't going to do it. Right? And then we have the woman with the issue of blood who didn't know Jesus prior, but she heard about Jesus, and the moment she heard about Jesus, faith rose up in her right? And she was coming to Jesus to receive healing from him. She had to have heard that Jesus heals people. And she had this hope in him. Let me tell you something. You don't have to be saved to receive healing. You go read through different accounts with Jesus. Now, you have to believe in Jesus to be healed, Amen. But Jesus says, is it easier to say you're healed or to say you're forgiven? Which one is easier? So you have this woman who has heard about Jesus. She's heard that that he's the healer, right? And so now she's approaching him in faith. And then you have Abram, right? And in Genesis 17, the Bible says that God changed his name from Abram to Abraham, which meant from father to father of many nations is the simplistic version. So every time somebody said his name, they declared you're a father of many nations. Never underestimate the power of somebody's name. Amen. So what I want you to see is I'm going to take you real quickly through four things that they did that made hope real 
and that they allowed faith to manifest that hope in their life, right? Allowed them to take what they saw as a hope for their life, a hope of healing, a hope of deliverance, a hope of provision, a hope of eternity, a hope, and bring it into reality to where it was a real thing in their life. And that's what God is doing and working in our lives. It's not meant to just be a hope that's out there. It's by faith we're able to take the hope that we have and bring it in close and actually see the manifestation of it in our life. Right? So, the first thing is, is that the woman and Abraham, or Abram, they hear something that is greater than what they see. They heard something that was greater than what they saw. So, in Abraham, all he saw was impotence. All he saw was the deadness of his body in the natural. All he could see, if you will, in the natural is that I'm beyond the age to bear children. My wife is beyond the age to bear children. It is a statistical at that point impossibility. Anybody ever been in a situation where it seemed like it was impossible? That what God was telling you and saying to you was impossible compared to what you saw. They had to hear something that was greater than the natural thing they were seeing. That's why it's important to be in church. That's why it's important to sit under the Word. That's why it's important to read your Bible. That's why it's important because you're able to hear things that are greater than the life you're living. And it allows hope to become a greater reality in your life. The second thing is that real hope, it reaches beyond natural circumstances by faith. In other words, it believes. In other words, I'm not just hoping. You know what I'm saying? You say, well, I hope that turns out different. But I don't really believe that it will. I'm just hoping. I'm not talking about that kind of hope. I'm talking about a hope that says, I believe it's going to turn out different. My hope is not just a flippant hope. My hope knows that my hope is in Christ. Hope is in me. And now I'm going to reach out by faith, which is a certainty that I'm going to receive what I'm hoping for. Faith takes what I hope for and makes it certain in my life. And so they both reached out beyond the natural circumstances. They reached out by faith. Listen, we, we, we have, when you go to another country, you go to another nation, it is so easy for people to be healed, to be delivered, to see miracles. It's so easy. You want to know why? It's because nobody told them that God doesn't or that he can't. And unfortunately, in the church, we hear more about how God maybe might, coulda, maybe, if you're good enough, if he wants to, will do something that he's already promised in his word that he said he would do. So faith moves beyond the woulda, coulda, shoulda, the maybe, the might, and faith says, God, you wrote it, and so now it becomes a certainty. The Bible says that the woman spent all that she had. She suffered many things and she grew worse. But when she heard about Jesus, her faith reached beyond all that she had spent, reached beyond all the doctors. It reached beyond her circumstances into this one that she heard, he heals. 
It reached into that. Abraham, it reached beyond the fact that physically they were unable to have children. He reached beyond that. A real hope says what God says, not what it sees. A real hope says what God says, but not what it sees. So when you, we read it, the Bible says about Abraham, it says that in contrary to hope, in other words, against all hope, because he saw in his physical body, he saw in his wife's physical body that that was an impossibility. It says contrary to hope, but then it says in hope believed. In other words, he looked beyond, he saw beyond, and then because God changed his name and because God changed Sarah's name, their vocabulary became different. Your words are life and they have power and they have the power of life and death is in the tongue. You can't have hope in Christ and then speak death in your life. I've got to say what God says. What does God say? What is God saying about my situation? What does his word say about my situation? The woman said to herself, she didn't say to herself, oh, well, maybe, maybe if I can get to him, maybe if this happens or that happens, maybe Jesus will turn around and, you know, and just bless me and, and help me. No, she said with a certainty, if I can just get to the hem of his garment, if I can just get there and touch it, I'll be made whole. She had a certainty. Her hope was not just a flippant hope, it was a certain hope. The Bible says that Abraham was not weak in faith, but he was actually strengthened in faith. Now listen, giving glory to God. In other words, he was giving glory to God for the hope that God had given him before he saw it manifested in his life. Sometimes our whole hope is hijacked because we whine and complain. Because all we do is repeat what we see or how we feel instead of standing on what God's Word says. The fourth thing, real hope does what it can while trusting God to do what it can't. Real hope does what it can while trusting God to do what it can't. That's what real hope does. So the woman, listen to me, the woman couldn't heal her own body. She tried it. She spent all her money. She saw doctors. She tried to do it in her way, right? But this is what she did. She said within herself, if I can get to him and touch the hem of his garment. So what did she do? Did she sit in her house? Did she sit home? Sit in, you know, well, I'm unclean. I'm not really, I, I don't want to go tell everybody that I'm unclean. Now listen to me. Some of us are not being receiving from God, receiving our healing, receiving our provision, receiving what it is, is because we're prideful and we're worried about what everybody else knows and thinks about what's going on in our life instead of being willing to step out in faith. Right? Because after all, I don't want people to look at me different because I don't have it all together, which nobody does. So, what did she do? 
the first thing she did is she took the first step and she had to get out of her house. She had to get out of her comfort. She had to get out of the comfort place. She had to get out of the place that she's familiar with. She had to get out of her house unclean. She had to take a risk because it was taking a risk to go out unclean. And she pressed, now listen, she pressed through a crowd. Some of us would be like, you know, well, can I come in the back door? You know, because I, I, I really don't want anybody to know. No, she pressed through the crowd. There were people thronging him, but the only one that is recorded that got healed is this woman. Because she had faith. She did what she could. She could leave the house. Well, you know, it's just, I, 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 and please don't, you know, I, I, I don't, well, let me just try to be careful. She, she's leaving the house with this issue of blood, right? And, and, you know, it would be like, well, I don't, I don't want to do that. I, I don't want to go out in public and, and be like this. I'm not talking about like she just was, was having, you know, a certain time. She, was, she had a flow that was nonstop. So she had to be willing to be uncomfortable. Come on now, y'all. I hope you're hearing me. She had to be willing to be uncomfortable. And then she had to be willing to follow through. If I could touch the hem of his garment. She didn't get halfway and said, oh, never mind. I don't guess I'll be able to reach it. Never mind, I, don't, I guess I won't be able to make it. No, she pressed all the way through. And she got Jesus' attention with her faith. Not with her good works. Not with her money, because it was gone. She got his attention with her faith because she heard something that was greater than what she saw, and she was willing to do what she could do. And then Abraham and Sarah... I don't really have to say much about that. They had to do what they could do. And even in that, I don't know. You see what I'm saying? In other words, they had to keep at it. They had to keep trying. I'm sure Abraham was maybe excited. I don't know about Sarah, right? But... So many times in life, we're not receiving because we want it all easy. We want Jesus to come to us. I'm going to sit in my chair, and Jesus, you're going to have to come to me if you're going to do anything. Right? I'm going to sit at home. Jesus, you're going to... I'm not saying there aren't times. Please don't take that wrong. There aren't times. doesn't mean God won't ever come to you. But we have created a God that just bows at our needs instead of a God that we're supposed to be running to. We've made Jesus the one who is our servant. And he's not your servant, he's God's servant. And we're to approach him. And if we want to see, I, I, I'm not saying it's not a works thing, it's a faith thing. So if I really believe in Christ, and I believe in healing, if I believe in his provision, whatever it is, then I'm going to act on what I can act on, and I'm going to do it in front of whoever I got to do it in front of, and I don't care what anybody else thinks, because at the end of the day, it's not their problem, it's mine, and I want freedom. 
How many times have we been robbed of our own freedom because of somebody else? Somebody else's thought, somebody else's opinion, somebody else. Because we're afraid or we're too prideful to admit that there's a need there. Right? And, and, and so I just want to, and I want to challenge you and, and uh, go ahead, worship team, come up. I want to challenge you this morning. I believe things are changing in the church again. And I believe there's a hunger and there is a desire. I believe that about you because I believe you wouldn't be here. Right? You're not sitting at home today. You came to church. Right? So I believe that on some level you came expecting something. And it doesn't matter what it is. It can be healing, it could be deliverance, it could be peace, it could be, you know, just wisdom or direction, whatever it is that you're believing for. But there's something about the corporate setting. If the corporate setting wasn't required, then we wouldn't have it and it wouldn't be written in the Bible. If all we needed to do was stay home and believe in Jesus, then why would God waste your time and say not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together? Why would he call his church those that are called out from and gathered together? That's what it means. Because there's things that happen, things that he can do corporately. Things sometimes that somebody else does need to know what I'm going through or what I'm dealing with, especially when it comes to freedom. You may be here with an addiction to pornography or an addiction to something else or, you know, and, and somebody else needs to know because until somebody else knows, it'll never be broken in your life.